Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Remember, it's all just prelude. Treat people kindly. Start now. Afraid? Okay. Do it afraid. Demand better of the internet. Hey, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. For today's episode, I'm joined by an internet great, an architect of the free open internet we use today, the 2018 Webby Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, Mitchell Baker. She started her career in the 1990s as a lawyer at Netscape, the legendary company behind one of the web's very first browsers. And in 1998, she launched the Mozilla Project, which pioneered open source coding the Firefox browser, and a ton of innovation online. Mitchell sat down with me the day after the Webby Awards, and we talked about her journey at Netscape and the original Mozilla project team. Witnessing innovations for the web, like the invention of JavaScript, how Mozilla can use new open source technologies to help users, and so much more. Well, you know, I find I'm unusual in this and that I... I don't actually have role models, and I don't think I did a lot of imagining of, of what I would be. I think my parents, you know, my dad would describe himself as an iconoclast, uh, and he, he loved to be devil's advocate, and I don't think they were actually in the mainstream either. And so I think I grew up like, comfortable being outside of the mainstream. Hmm. And, and where did you grow up? Uh, in the East Bay, okay. in Oakland. Okay. California, so um, Oakland and Berkeley, you know, was a pretty okay. active. Well, that's period. important. Yeah, and my parents, you know, grew up on the East Coast and moved and knew no one and found this different culture in California. So, I think I just grew up with a sense that one could be different, or in my case, n- not by trying. <laughs> Certainly, my parents just were odd, I would guess, eccentric, and so there's a comfort level with that. And I, I found that I just followed the things that were interesting to me, and I, I gave no thought, really, to mm-hmm. what would come of them or what a career would be or what made sense or what people thought I should do. Did um, were you influenced by the, you know, sort of like the whole Earth catalog and the community of I don't I don't even know how you would you know describe that community, but it was sort of the post '60s '70s pre '90s thinkers of the Bay Area and, and elsewhere, which eventually really shaped a lot of the sort of early community of the web. Oh, I think I was, but unconsciously. I think, you know, it was in the air. And I'm, I'm not of the era that was in the protests or in the 60s movement mm-hmm. or the early women's movement. You know, that, that was before me, but it was in the air, you know, sort of, sort of everywhere. And my original interest was in politics. And so when I first went to college, I was thinking political science and I ended up switching to East Asian studies, really Chinese studies. And it, it was quite freakish at the time. Yeah. You know, so my, undergrad, uh, my undergraduate degree is in Chinese studies. Right. Now, now that seems like a, a great business or career decision. Yes. I mean, at the yes. time, like, that was just, I mean, nobody really went to China. I mean, people had in, in the United States had interaction with people who came from China, obviously, but there wasn't a whole lot of, like, visiting of China at the time. That's right. And... Um, <clears throat> I ended up taking Chinese at, at the University at Berkeley, which was mostly Chinese Americans. And that was a very, very, very freakish thing to be a Caucasian yeah. person with no connection to China at all, somehow, right. like studying language. So, again, without really meaning to, that, that's what interested me. And yeah. I, I ended up in this sort of odd place. What was it about Chinese that interested you? Was it just be, being around a lot of Chinese Americans in the East Bay? Uh, actually, 
it was about a political system that was so different than ours. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we, we think now back about the civil rights movement or the anti-war movement or the women's movement, all of which came from that era. But there was also a very strong sort of political theory movement in what is the nature of government, what is democracy, what is socialism, uh, what is communism. And, and so those things were really quite interesting to me in, in how you organize a society. Mm. And I, in hindsight, I think that's the same thing that drew me to law school, which is my graduate degree, and the same thing that drew me to open source and Mozilla. Yeah. It's all about, well, how do people and societies organize themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge, I mean, it's also like such a, looking at the, I remember those not as early as you do, but I remember, you know, I was in San Francisco in like 1998, 1999, and I remember everybody thinking that like the web was this place that was undefined and we could go do anything. And so there was all these different types of movements and people who like looked at the web as like, this is where we can finally do our thing. Yes, and actually, as it turns out, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's some of what's really great about the web. And then today, of course, second generation maybe, we're seeing that what many of us would think is bad actors or bad behavior have also figured out how to use the web or, or the Internet to be disruptive. Right. Well, so tell me a little bit about the early days at before it was called Mozilla. You were at Netscape, right? Yes. How did, and that was... For people who don't know, and you were you were like a lawyer at that point. I was. So you got hired as a lawyer at Netscape. And what was the, the initial job that you were doing there? Well, Netscape was really crazy. Uh, yeah. So so Jim Clark, the founder, had hired a lawyer, and he uh, hired her. She was seven months pregnant. Good for him. He hired her. So one of the first things she had to do, about <laughs> two weeks into it, was say, "I'm going to be gone." So uh, they hired me. Jim uh, uh, hired me. So for a while, I did everything. Because I, I was you're like the company's uh, lawyer, right? Right. Uh, and then, uh, and then eventually we hired a GC, which was great. Uh, and I, I chose to be the technology lawyer, like putting the technology together, right? Which was a bit of a choice because if you want to get to China, you choose sales. Every tech company that in those days that had anything to do with with China was sales. Oh, but but I like technology, so I I made the choice, and so we divided things up. This is my colleague and I, even before our boss got there, the general counsel, where I owned everything in the company until a product was on the price list, and then she owned it after. Oh, because in the early days, you, you were still paying for software. Right. You paid for almost everything of value, and AOL was a joke because you got it for free. Yeah. So uh, the very first browser out there was $99, which is what it cost to buy the browser. And then we had a product, because most people didn't know the internet, or what an internet connection was, or how you would get it, or who provided it. So we had an internet in a box product, which mm-hmm. was a browser and a you know, three or four click way to set up an, an ISP account. But uh, I owned everything before the price list, which Got I it. really loved, because that's like, what technology is there? What is this internet? Who's interested in it? And it was explosive from day one. Yeah. And so the great thing about Netscape is, Everything that happened online came through Netscape in one way or another. Right. Through a company or a newspaper, you, you name it, everyone came to Netscape. And so the amount of technology or the people who wanted to do technology deals or relationships was huge. And I, I saw all of that. And that was before open source was mainstream. Right. And so there was some open source software, but it was uh, unusual and no company would use anything that was in the GPL variety, the free software variety. And so that meant every piece of technology had its own unique agreement between the company or the person who created it and the company who was using it. Uh, it was called software licensing. Right. And uh, to do that well, you had to ha- understand everything about the business. And so before open source took off, I had a team of lawyers working for me that did nothing but licensing technology to include in uh-huh. you know, the browser. So that meant you saw everything. You knew what other companies were building. You knew how the technology fit together. You knew their business models. You knew how they got paid, the areas they thought they were going to work in and didn't want to give us rights to do things in. So you, And because everyone came through, you had a bird's-eye view of the beginning of the entire internet So you literally world. saw how, how the early web was like codified on some level, right? Absolutely. I mean, not only there... But it's, I mean, I would imagine, like, people are probably even, like, calling Netscape for some internet issue because people probably thought that the web was Netscape on some level, right? Absolutely. 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 And, for example, 
like the very, very first, certainly legal documents that I ever saw that described a website or a web. What's a page? What's a link? Yeah. We wrote. Yeah. Right? Because there was nothing there. And yeah. so that description of what is this thing, uh, you know, we got to both experience it, but be the first to actually try to do something with it. And, you know, that is addictive. Yeah, I mean, you either sure. love it or you hate it. Uh, and if you like stability and knowing what happens and feeling like you're the master, you would hate it. But if you love tech and change and new things and trying to figure this puzzle out, then you love it and it's yeah. addictive. How did, um, like, did, were there times when it just, the entire thing went in a different direction than, than you saw, than you thought was going to happen? Like, if you're sort of sitting there and you're watching this develop and you're watching all these companies and people starting to get on some level attracted to the web and start thinking about it and then wanting to engage with it. So you're lo watching a lot of like people who are like woke, if you will, in a tech way, like a lot of people yeah. who are coming to it. Um, did it, did it go different ways than you imagined? Oh, sure. There were a few of those. One uh, closest to the consumer side, I, you know, I was on an airplane going somewhere once and the, I could see the person next to me, uh, the the page on the top of his magazine was the Netscape logo, which is a little like your own name, right? You're, you're very sensitive to it. And I so I knew he was reading something about us or what we were doing. Uh, but, of course, I didn't know what, and uh, I, I didn't try to read it. But, but eventually he closed his magazine, and it was Popular Mechanics. And I thought that, to me, was a turning point when I realized how far into life not just browsers or the web, but copy and paste. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you can see, you know, it's an article about how to take a web page, how to make your own website, what, what view source means, how you too can make a website in uh, Popular Mechanics, right. which is essentially a DIY uh -huh. magazine. Right. So that was one. And then on the business side, after a while, things started to get very weird. And the sales side of the house was having a lot of problems that we couldn't figure out. And deals were getting weird, and people weren't talking, and something was clearly going on. And, uh, and the day we figured it out, it, it was finally when someone said enough for us to realize what Microsoft was doing. Oh. And what Microsoft was doing was threatening people and saying, if you ship Netscape Navigator, we won't allow you to ship Windows, which at the time... So these are for computer manufacturers, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah, it's 99% of the market. Yeah. It's like Apple and Android combined right. today. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that was a shock. I, you know, I still remember the look on the guy who ran that, that so program. So it was like an undercurrent that you guys were feeling, but you didn't know. People were not being as responsive as they had in the past. Things were getting yep. more difficult, didn't know why, and then you sort of like, oh, you know, weird. You, yeah. you, have, you start to get tiny little signals or yeah. pieces, or you see the part of agreement that where somebody starts to get nervous, and then they never call you back, and you try and figure it out, and then something came, and the things fell into place. And, of course, that's the activity that even the Supreme Court decided was illegal later yeah. on, but it was extremely hard, and so the... And we didn't expect it. Maybe you're naive, maybe like cutthroat business, uh, which, you know, Microsoft was known for, so maybe yeah. we should have expected it. Uh, and then, uh, so that, w that was really a change point. And eventually, you know, the memo leaked about, you know, sh choke the air out of the, right. the pipe for Netscape, and, and this is how we're going to essentially, we're going to do it, yeah. even though it bordered on and became illegal. How do you think about Microsoft now? You know, like... Um because the company has been around for a really long time, and if you yep. sort of were around in that time and using it, it was sort of like the evil Microsoft. Yep. Um, but, like, time's gone on, you know, and they've done other things, and Bill Gates and Melinda Gates have done other really great things. Um, it, you know, how do you, like, how do you reconcile Microsoft in the world, so to speak, today? Our, our views of Microsoft have changed along with, with Microsoft's behavior, and so we uh, talk to Microsoft pretty regularly. We try and um, welcome everyone in the standards groups right? Um, because th those are important. So, uh, you know, we've spent a fair amount of time looking at is Microsoft different and where and how. But I will say that it's right, it's difficult right now because they are now back, they're copying Apple and Google. Uh, and so, like, I've seen this story at Netscape before, uh, which was a similar story, you know. Um, but today, if you are an Edge user, you will get a million requests, you know, or your browser default gets changed regularly. Right. And, you know, that at one time 
was illegal, right. those kinds of things. And, and now they're legal, and Microsoft is back to doing them. So we think that the like leadership tenor of the company is different, and they do actually many great things, and yet their activities in browsers and in and using the operating system unabashedly to hinder Firefox users and make it hard to continue to use a browser that's not theirs is not that different. Right. Interesting. Uh, and so maybe that's like many companies where this frenemy thing in the valley, but it's very real. And, right. and I, it, it's odd to me that today it's all fine that Microsoft does that. Well, it's sort of what I was going to, which is that, you know, back then it was like Google is amazing and Microsoft's evil and Apple's great. And, you know, now time has gone on and Apple's been really wonderful at times and sometimes less wonderful in the same, you know, I mean, it's like everybody has good and bad behavior. It's not quite so yes. cut and dry. And to some extent, maybe they're, it's not even the behavior that's totally just a Microsoft behavior anymore. It's sort of like the right. behavior of the tech industry, right? Right. Well, when Apple started Facebook, with the yeah. phone and the phone was a new product. Right. Yeah. And so they had, you know, small market share compared to BlackBerry and this very locked down, we control everything. Of course, we use the operating system to cut out other products we don't like. Of course we do. Um, you know, the product was exciting and they didn't have market share and now that's become the default for the industry, which is bad for consumers. Yeah. It's really bad for consumers uh, and here we are. So tell me a bit about, a little bit about how you, um, I guess AOL eventually bought Netscape, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, and then tell me a little bit about how you sort of ported, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. Firefox and Mozilla from that into like its own thing. And now yeah. it's this big foundation that supports a lot of things other than just a browser. Yeah. Actually, the reason uh, Netscape sold itself, <clears throat> the uh, one other big turning point that we didn't get to in your former question was when you know Microsoft took the browser and included it in the operating system, which was a standard practice. That's how it killed off many companies and yeah. businesses because it essentially took your product and made it free which is great for consumers. So Netscape's rolling along, and all of a sudden, I think it's half or three-quarters of its revenue disappeared overnight. So, th so that was a big change and, and hard to recover from. Uh, you know, it's weird. I don't rem it's so funny. Like, I don't know if it's – I don't remember buying Netscape, but, like, I literally used – I mean, I used Mosaic and Netscape for years. Yep. Maybe I just blocked it out, but I bought it. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, it, was a, it was free for sort of charitable use. Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe, maybe you were charitable was, yeah. in those yeah. days, uh, <laughs> or maybe you did because we all bought maybe software. In school also, yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. you just went to the store and you right. bought your box right, of software. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, once you could afford it, you did that. Uh, so anyway, the, net, the you know the revenue disappeared. Uh, Microsoft eventually built a good product, and they engaged in all these illegal activities, and so things at Netscape you know got very difficult. So, so AOL acquired Netscape. Uh, AOL, I want to give it credit, did try to treat Mozilla well. Yeah. We were tiny. They had the Netscape client group, which is, I don't know, 100, 150 people. And then inside that, this tiny little group that was Mozilla, that was maybe eight of us. Uh, you know, and they tried to treat us well. Uh, although the thing that we did consistently from the day I moved over there full time was plan what happens if we all get fired. Interesting. Um, and we all had plans about it. And <laughs> this is kind of funny. <laughs> One of our key concerns, though, I mean, we had concerns about the servers, but... Uh, the other key concern was that someone in the building who we knew and trusted and cared about Mozilla had keys to the storage room that has our T-shirt inventory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, that's what we had. We had goodwill in the, in the world. We had some servers from AOL dedicated to mo the Mozilla part of it, and we had yeah. T-shirts. yeah. Um, and actually, when we finally shipped our first product, I personally spent, I bought all the t-shirts personally wow. um, because AOL wouldn't do it Yeah. Uh, and ended up giving them to some of the AOL execs that wouldn't buy them. But <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, AOL bought Netscape. They tried to treat us well, but it was a pretty difficult setting and uh, the, it, it was unstable. So I was the general manager of Mozilla and, and my role was to build an open source project that was real. That meant... Contributors to the code base could earn leadership and decision-making by the quality of their work, and that we were trying to produce a shared product that lots of companies would use. Uh, you know, in those days, a lot of companies wanted a rendering engine to make different products out of, and so uh -huh. the, the browser was useful. Oh, okay. But my boss's job was to make money for AOL. 
Okay. And to use the Netscape Navigator product to drive traffic to AOL and make money for AOL. Right. Uh, those do not go together. Right, yeah. And um, that was sort of like when all of a sudden the homepage of like if you went to the homepage of Netscape, you were like at AOL all of a sudden kind of. Yeah. Thing, right? yeah. And, and the other thing is you, you add lots of things in the user interface right, or buttons yeah. and all that I remember stuff. That. Yeah, exactly. Like, What's going on here? Yeah, that was yeah. our fight. Yeah. Um, and so the way we set it up internally is we built Mozilla first, which didn't have that. And then the Netscape client group, AOL, took that and added stuff in. And that was a technical fight. Mm-hmm. You know how to yeah. do that. Um, so we fought over a lot of things. And it worked through my first two bosses who had been at Netscape forever and helped set up Mozilla and um, I think we really invested in it. But for my third boss, it just didn't work. Hmm. You know, we had been, uh, we'd have, you know, she would say to our then shared boss, you must make Mozilla, I mean, you must make Mitchell make Mozilla do these things because otherwise my part of the org can't be successful. Right. And I would say, I will not. I can't do those things and build a legitimate open source project. Right. So no. Yeah. And and when that person becomes your boss, yeah. <laughs> you know that that can be tough. Now you're drawing in that education and sort of that stuff that you were interested in the earlier days, right? You went to and started studying Chinese yeah. because you were sort of interested in these like different ways of organizing people, yes. these different ways, right? I mean, this is sort yes. of like now I'm kind of getting Yes, that's I'm, what I'm that's get, I'm getting it here, yeah. In hindsight, yeah. you know the connection is pretty clear. Um, and so, you know, not long after there was a big layoff, and so it made total sense to lay me off. Right. Which is what happened, and it was, you know, well understood that it was a fight over. Sure. How did how did Mozilla work? Yeah. And you know, it turned out that uh, Mozilla was small, you know, eight or nine of us, but but we were the organizing body for the Mozilla code base, and the Netscape engineers were contributing to it. So they, they were there mostly because they cared about the open source project, Mozilla and the browser, um, but their employer was taking that and then using it to build benefit for AOL. Mm-hmm. And so after I was fired, it, it turned out that the engineers were very clear that they weren't going to be engaged and productive or even stay if they weren't working on the Mozilla project. And I was the leader of the Mozilla project. Right. And so it, it became clear to the management at Netscape AOL that they actually couldn't ship a browser that they needed based on Mozilla uh-huh. unless I was involved. So that's one reason why I'm just such a forceful believer that paid employees can be good open source stewards and contributors uh-huh. is because it was the paid employees of AOL who kind of revolted against management and said, unless Mitchell is in here running the project, like we're just not interested in it. Right. Uh, so so I ran uh, Mozilla as a volunteer for a few years, uh, which was still the basis of the Netscape product. So that, uh-huh. that was an odd organizational And what year is this, dynamic. like what, 2002 or three or later? Or? Uh, 2001, 2002. Okay. Right, okay. Yeah. So tough, also tough times for anybody working on the web at that. I mean, those, yes. were, those are some, yes. after like the sort of summer of 2001, people don't remember, but that was sort of you know stock market crash largely due to tech companies and yep. everybody's everybody out there who sort of wasn't a believer was like, oh, this web thing was kind of nonsense and it's That's not right. going anywhere, which is the silliest thing ever. Yep, but, tech but bubble crashed. That, yeah. And then also uh, 2002, three and four were bad use for the web because Microsoft and IE had this monopoly. Right. And it's, like in my view, it's natural when you have a monopoly. Once you get comfortable with it, yeah. It's rational and economically logical not to invest. Everything gets worse. Yeah. Right. That, right. And, and that was for people who hopefully will watch your moment at the Webby's last night. Um, that was sort of some of the stuff we covered in the in the film we made, which is like the the web was like this. My colleague out here wrote the script was like a wasteland of all sorts of terrible things because the browser was so bad and you know yes. all these really bad actors basically just had like full access to your computer through your browser and yes yes exactly and so we would find that people's and it sounds silly but it was true people's entire PCs would become unusable yeah because in those days it was still 97% windows and macs were barely existent it's a bad time for apple too and so your computer would become unusable um, and that was because of um, ie so it was a bad time for the web but we could see that on the server side amazing things were happening. Like there was this wave of innovation uh, on the server side of what you could actually do and provide and produce and offer Mm -hmm. uh, on the web. And yet for consumers, you couldn't get it. Or if you did, it was just filled with spyware. 
So tell us about that. What was the what innovation did you see there at that time on the server side? Like what was really interesting and what what did oh, you Oh man. Yeah. So this is a period, you know, uh, in the first phase of the web, the the pages were pretty static. And in the early days, everybody got the same page. You know, and the idea that you and I would go to a URL and you would see something different than I would see was an astonishing idea yeah. at the time. And so that was beginning to happen. And JavaScript was invented in 1995 by my co-founder at Mozilla and, uh, you know, was becoming adopted and people were beginning to actually do computing on the client side and be, being able to provide what were new experiences at the time and also much faster when it's done on device. And so you saw a, a range of um, a new um, formats and what kinds of materials might show up on the server, like we forget now, but originally it was documents. It was yeah. text yeah, yeah, and yeah. links right. and, and some images. And so photos that took a really long time to load, right? All, yeah. We all remember that, yeah. Just to summarize, you were laid off because of sort of internal battle at AOL. They still needed the, they still needed Mozilla to ship or the browser to ship. Um, and so it sort of gave you some leverage to come back and, and lead as a volunteer. Um, and then at the time, then I guess through that you sort of created the. Oh, that's yeah. right. I didn't get to. Yeah. I didn't. I only got partway to your your question. So at that time we weren't working on Firefox. We had an earlier product and it was much bigger and it included an email reader and a chat client. Thunderbird. Uh, Thunderbird. Yeah. I Thunderbird. That, yeah. And so we were actually we call that product Mozilla. It was known as Mozilla One O, and that that took us a long time to ship. And the idea of doing something different and simpler was bubbling around uh, even before I was fired, but it was hard enough to get this code base. You know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen and mm -hmm. something that can render the entire web for you. And so the product took forever. And I'm trying to remember when. We, I think we finally shipped it. I think it was 2002. And it was technically a good product. Everyone in the open source tech world was surprised at what we had shipped. But it didn't – it was too clunky for consumers. It was clearly a developer product. Mm -hmm. And I think IE wasn't that bad yet. So the moment hadn't really arrived. And so when we founded Mozilla, uh, the foundation, that came about uh, where we had wanted to have our own organization. And we'd actually had a lot of help from uh, part of IBM – which is interesting. Yeah, IBM was a big supporter of open source in the early days, and I think helpful in helping other corporations understand it wasn't so radical or so scary, and, and you could think about it. And they understood the need for a browser, and you know they were always fighting Microsoft. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, you know, right, right, right. It would make sense yeah, for them to understand sure. the need for it. But they had a few folks that were good. I mean, they have these divisions that sound... So corporate, you know, wh whatever it is, advanced tech or these things. Yeah. But, but you know, they had good people in them, and they found us. And we were shipping for an open source project, and amazing, a million, million people were downloading our milestones, which in our era was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so they were very helpful and supportive, and I think they understood my co-founder and me. There were two people they could get to, and that kind of founder way, like who's going to actually run and lead a project if it were independent. And yeah. they, I think they saw that we could do that. And right, uh, it wasn't just, it, it, it was open source, but it wasn't like you had to, they had to try and reach out to like 13 different people and try and get somebody. They, you guys were actually there and you were leading it. And, and right. it was kind of a different thing, actually. Right. And yeah. we had a structure and it was clear that we were deci the decision makers right. and clear if it was a you know, technical architectural piece was Brendan and if it was something else or organizational or structure or how we work, you know. That was me. Uh, and then, you know, AOL got tired of investing in the browser yeah. uh, because it wasn't really working for them. And so they, I guess, I wasn't there, you know, but decided, well, maybe we shouldn't just kill it. it you know, at least there's enough mind share. We should try and do something with it. Yeah. Uh, and so they, I think they offered a million dollars. And at the time I was working with another sort of icon of the industry, a guy named Mitch Kapoor who created Lotus, Yeah, uh, which many people don't know Mitch anymore because, you know, now we use Legend, Google, Google yeah. Docs. But, yeah. but before the web, you know, Google Docs is really a copy of, of Lotus 1, 2, 3. Yeah. And Mitch was an open source, and Mitch knew the people at AOL. You know, he had that titan post-economic status, uh, which I don't, right? And, and, and so he really helped. 
Hmm. And he helped me arm wrestle AOL into an arrangement that we thought we could survive with, which was enough, a million dollars for two years, which we thought was enough to support 10 people, which we thought was the absolute minimum. Uh, you know, and during that entire process, the AOL executives would never speak to me directly. <laughs> and the words they used were, she's too aggressive. And I've since learned that's what people say about women. Yeah. So for the longest time, I, I thought it was personal, or I thought it was Mozilla, or I thought it was, you know, this particular couple of execs at AOL. And now I see, you know, it's just one example of many. Uh-huh. And so I, I, you know, we all really credit Mitch because they would talk to him uh, on that kind of buddy-buddy, let's do a deal level. And, and so Mitch helped us, but he understood that he was not the leader, you know, that, that it was Brendan and I. And so that, that was really helpful. And I, I didn't think, know that story. That's really, yeah. that's a very hard, I mean, that's a really nice, nice thing. That's yeah, really nice yeah. Hear. Mitch has done a lot of, I think Mitch walks, walks the walk. Yeah. And... Um, so he was the first chairman of the board of the Mozilla Foundation for us. And so, so we got a uh, million dollars for two years. Like I personally negotiated every word of every agreement in there uh, uh, in a hotel room. So th- that was a lot of work. But uh, we got the Mozilla Foundation and instantly people started coming to us. Uh, and it, it was just instantly clear that having a legal organization and a home was helpful to certainly to organizations, to yeah. governments and to companies. Yeah. And it, 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 it made a big difference. And um, as well, um, Mitch also contributed a little bit of money, helped pay my salary for a while. Um, I mean, I was part volunteer at, at the foundation for a while. but So we, we were able to get going and people came to us and the, vol- the Mozilla community and the set of volunteers that appeared was immense. And so the, you know, we were only 10 or 12 employees, but the number of people who both came to the office because they were, you know, lived around and helped us and the sense of the community kept us going. And we would not have made it. Yeah, I mean, I I remember you guys, everything you did at that time, I remember, maybe not everything, but as I remember it was, it was like so community driven, yes. right? Like I remember even like the ads. You guys yes. had like these ads, and you. I mean, now everybody, of course, they're gonna talk to their fans and help them make their marketing or whatever. But like, you know, back then that was like nobody did that. Who would ever let the public like help you figure out your marketing? That was crazy. And you guys had like yeah. these really great. I think they were like thirty second spots or fifteen second spots, like video. There were the animations largely We're that were like made by people out there that were just like huge fans of Mozilla. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and a couple of those, the first one, especially the big New York Times ad, that was a, an idea from somewhere in the Midwest, I don't remember exactly where, of let's do one of these New York Times ads, which has a special rate for nonprofits. And uh, the, the, you know, people came to me and said, well, what do you think? And I said, boy, I don't know. I don't know if it'd work. And they said, well, should we, like, give them the go-ahead? Or, and I'm, well, yeah, let's try it. And so at, at that point, it was, you know, we want to place an ad saying we support Firefox and Mozilla. And so we made a promise that if you donated, it wasn't very much, like $25 maybe, you know, your name would appear. Not donated to us, but, you know, paid for the ad because you right. have to pay for the ad. And so many people did it, we had to get a two-page spread because we, we – and, and, the, and the print was tiny yeah. um, because it did. It was that – the best description I've heard of it, it was the product the movement needed. And so there was an open source and free software movement that really was, this was the first consumer product yeah. that was open source. Yeah. And, and before that, the conventional wisdom was that open source was only for geeks and you could make libraries for developers like Apache does, but you couldn't really make a consumer product. So, so that turned out to not be true. And it came at the moment when consumers really needed help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, it was so good, right? It was yeah. like, it was just like, oh my God, thank God, right? I mean, yeah. it was just really, really good, especially yeah. compared to what was out there. Yeah, and so recently... You know, I think, so we had this product that was really phenomenally good, and then there was a period where we have to admit that Chrome was better. Like, when Chrome came out, it was all new, and the, the Chrome team came from Mozilla. Right. And so, so they'd had a, a lot of experience with our technology, which by that time was pretty old, and they knew what wasn't working, and they spent some time redoing it, and, you know, they're smart people, so they did sure. a good job. So when Chrome came out, you know, they lapped us, right. no question. And then uh, one thing that's been very exciting is our release last November, Quantum. Uh, you know, has the technical crown once again. Uh, it's new. No one thought we could do it. Uh, it wasn't a secret that yeah. we were working on it, like the Chrome team knew. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, it was sort of viewed to be impossible to take a new architecture, which is really made for much more parallel processing and, you know, being able to split up content in new ways uh, to make things faster and, and be able to do a lot of, and, and, and much safer as well. And so what's inside the heart of the Firefox Quantum releases is the newest browser technology, which is faster and it's shiny again. Yeah. And uh, it's not the same gigantic consumer response because Chrome is still right. it's pretty not, good. It's not as bad as it, it was. Yeah. I mean, that was a very specific case in time where like the thing that everyone used was really terrible. And, and right? really yeah. dangerous, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. so so it's not that kind of moment, but sort of among our peers, yeah. it's nice to have the crown again. That's like to prove again that, you know, Mozilla's had a couple near-death experiences, you know, uh -huh. in our past, that we can come back out of that and not only not die, but be technically... Not just world class, but lead uh, in the browser uh, as well, and then in some of our um, work for AR and VR on the web uh, to be able to show that yes, we are you know we are the tech uh, powerhouse, and that the web is competent, and we can do like new things on the web. Yeah. So, for example, we just had a you know release of our our work. So you send someone a link, click on the link, and you are in a shared AR, VR space with that person, like like the web. It's yeah, a link. Yeah. There's no app. There's no download. And you, you can use any headset out there on the market. Like It's interoperable like the web. Wow, that's amazing. So if you buy a, you know, an Oculus headset or whatever, you're not limited to content from uh -huh. that. You can use the web. Right. <laughs> which, which right now on our phones, we, we don't really. We use the web as a giant storage and retrieval device. Sure. But we, it is not interoperable in the same way, and you, you can't have people with different systems and, and just create a shared space the way you, what, the way you do on the web. And so um, it, it is, uh, I have to say, it's really both a relief <laughs> and it's exciting to see Mozilla start to show its technical chops again. Well, and I want to, I want to ask you a bit about, we were talking about the, in the, when Moz, when Firefox first came out, that it was the product that, the sort movement. of the, the yeah. movement, also the world needed. Yes. And I want to talk okay. to you a little bit also about like what, in terms of like the web and the internet and technology you think the world needs today. Um, but I just, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you like, was it, what was it like to have, so people like left Mozilla and went to Chrome, went to Google yeah. and make, what was that like? That seems like, your, well, those are probably like your friends. Yeah. Right? Friends and, yeah. And we'd all come out of um, AOL together. Uh-huh. Right. Well. And then cool also that, Google thought a browser was important and wanted to invest a lot of money in making one. That's like yeah. kind of a good, I mean, that's, that's Well, good. the first thing that happened is that Google supported us. We had multiple browsers in the search bar, and that was a fight. Like, yeah. That was my refusal to do anything else because up till that point, uh, everything was one. You know, whatever your browser, you know, product maker selected, that's what you got. Yeah. 
and and we refuse to do that because you don't get choice. It's the ethos of, of yeah. where you guys came from. And yeah. it sounds obvious, and it, today it sounds like it doesn't matter because who? Not many people use Yahoo. Right. But but in a time when there was competition to actually enable people to to make a choice was important. Well, the 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 Chrome team was actually a little bit different. We didn't have the money to hire them, so and 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 Chrome was very supportive of Firefox. I mean, remember. Google wasn't even public at this point. Right. So they weren't exactly the powerhouse they are today. Yeah. And they understood every single person coming to use their product was coming through IE when Microsoft was explicitly trying to beat them. Yeah. So that, they're yeah. smart. Like, yeah. That's an obvious weak point in and their, their business. And the whole future of their business was going to be the web as a place that was good that's and worked. And like it wasn't, that wasn't going to be the future of people using – of the web if people were using IE forever. Like that would, right. that would have just been a disaster for everyone. Right. And so – um, and I think they they saw the early versions and, you know, Google, especially in those days, responded to tech when they saw yeah. it. And so, you know, Sergey and Larry liked it and their engineers liked it. And uh, that was also very helpful. And so they uh, did try to – I mean, we spent a lot of time uh, getting to know each other and, and, you know, how they might support us given how prickly we were about, <laughs> you know, open source, independence, all that stuff. And uh, so we gave them names and they hired – some of the best browser developers that we couldn't hire. Oh, okay. So the team was already there, uh-huh. uh, except for one who, d- who, d- who did shift. Uh, and, and they worked on uh, Firefox for a while. And that, that had some tensions. You know, we, we appreciated the talent, but there were two sets of tensions. Um, you know, from their point of view, we were really slow and we cared about standards. You know, from our point of view... Um, some of the stuff that came out was surprisingly slow, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and not quite ready. Uh, and they both, they were much more comfortable with collecting data right. long before we were. Right. And so I think each of us had the grain of truth. So we were appalled at what they wanted to do in the browser and the data they wanted to collect about it. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and so there were, we had a bunch of tension about what could they actually contribute into Firefox. And so I think eventually they thought, huh, well, we should go do what we think we can do. Interesting. And, you know, from, from the, the, the truth from their side is we do actually care more about standards than they do. Yeah. Uh, and they are much more likely to want to race ahead and be the de facto standard on their own. Yeah. Either because they're right or, you it's know, sometimes they, sometimes they think they're smarter than everybody else. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Sure. Um, and it's faster. And and yes, I, I I do think we are sometimes really slow, uh, and that I think sometimes Mozilla has been in the past too slow for our own good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, and you know they had some pretty deep changes they wanted to make to the core engine, or it, which is hard to do in a shipping product. And then from our side. Like collecting data about browser users, you do want to be pretty sensitive about it. Yeah. Um, and and so, uh, you know, we have in the last few years, uh, part of the reason it took us a while to make Firefox equal to better than Chrome is that we we didn't even collect telemetry. Uh-huh. What's telemetry for people yeah. who don't know? Yeah. So th- there's a kind of information that's about you, like who are you, what are you doing, where are you going? We don't want that. Uh, are certainly not through the browser. Uh, or we certainly don't want it by default. But uh, telemetry is like, let's monitor how, how your product is behaving. Is it crashing? If it's crashing, we don't, what extensions? Do you have an extension that we know causes you know, some version of the browser to crash? So telemetry is the information that tells you about the performance of the product. Right. And so we wouldn't even collect that for a while because you do, when you collect that, you have to be very careful not to get enough information or to... You can inadvertently treat, get other stuff, yeah. people's locations or something. Oh, you yeah. know, or right. to treat it properly. And and we and, and so Google was right on this part. You know, we finally realized you can't actually, for the modern web, a product that tens to hundreds of millions of people use, you cannot do it without telemetry. Right. Um, so, for example, we'll say, like, my browser crashes. I keep hearing, like, Firefox is supposed to be great now, but it's crashing. Now we can say, oh, well, you installed this extension. Uh-huh. And if you take that extension out, you'll see a change. Right. Fair to say then that a lot of the conversations we're having today around these same issues and topics around data, yeah. our data, is really like a driving issue for 
why Chrome came to be. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. I think they would say they wanted to make changes to the product. Sure. Right, and I think that's true. And and clearly, it was time for some changes, so I think they were right on that. But yes, data was definitely a part of, of what was going yeah. on. Um, and, you know, we at Mozilla have been talking about data and privacy and how do you how do you connect that with open and the, that that privacy and openness are often at odds with each other and, and that y y you can't focus on just one. Uh, you do have to think about the larger picture for a decade, yeah, at least a decade. And so for many years, you know, people sort of rolled their eyes at us. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually wish we had been wrong. Yeah. And that, like, today we look up and say, oh, we were wrong about that stuff. All those people who rolled our eyes and thought we were, I don't know, paranoid or nonprofit or dumb or something, uh, that, you know, they'd been right because the world would be much better. But, but here we are. In yeah. fact, they, they are issues. Right. You know, here at the Webbies, people have asked us these questions, ask us, you know, like, what do you think yeah. about me giving them for years, you know? And without having an opinion on it, the observation that we've always had is that, at every turn, to up till now anyway, for the most part, not everyone, but for the most part, consumers frequently choose convenience over protection, right? That it's great to be able to know instantly what the weather is in your city, and so I'm happy to share where I am, sort of as a nutshell, right? And that was yes. like a really common user behavior for a long time. Even though all these people, yourselves, lots of other people were talking about this as an issue, it just never really got to, it's funny that it had to get to the place where it got in the last couple of years. Yes. Where people just sort of finally take a step back. But well, it, it's gotten there and now people are talking about it. Yes. In a real way. Yes. And and then we have to see what happens. I think it's going to take a few waves. Because if you think about a sort of physical life, we have centuries or maybe you know, thousands of years of, of making trade-offs. Because, you know, if you think about it, like, keys are really inconvenient. But we lock our houses. Right. You know, we lock our cars. And so, um, and if you're taking the bus home and walking home, you choose your route. It's not always the most convenient route. It's often the safest route. And and so we're used to making these trade-offs, and we understand that there are trade-offs, and they're almost sort of natural. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, and yet online, it's all new. And... Uh, and even the digital natives, like it, it, it's all new because we don't have those trade-offs. And so we're all actually learning together. And I think it's an area where I hope we can do it soon because I, I think it's a very useful place for sort of digital natives and those of us who aren't to actually work together yeah. on some of these things. What's like the challenge for Mozilla now? Like, well, how do you think about Mozilla in 2018 and 2025? Like, it's super clear what the challenge was. Yes. Um, and you guys did a phenomenal job. And like, I don't, I, I don't want to like be too heavy handed, but I just do want to remind our listeners that, you know, the web could have just been something that nobody ever went to and used because it was so atrocious and it really could have just become that yeah. absolutely could have, um, but so, but so, like, what's the what's the thing in front of you now? There's a couple things. Yeah. One, I would say, is still the challenge of the market and product. Uh, so today, it's not the case that products are that bad, uh, partly because you know Google and Apple and Facebook are all a little wary. You know, they are in slightly different markets, but none of them is sitting on their laurels. So, mm -hmm. um, and yet, the idea of something that's interoperable and not locked in and where you as a developer can actually reach consumers and you as a consumer can get to the stuff that you want and you don't need to be in some particular technology stack, we don't have much of that right now. Yeah. So, uh, and we see that as a core engine for empowering people, both consumer choice, but also the ability to create things and these closed stacks make it much easier to consume uh, what makes money for other people, but not nearly as easy to create yeah. things or make what, what benefits us in life. So we, we see that market challenge is real. We, and and we're, we're currently focused on the new modes. That's why AR, VR, augmented reality is because it's not totally locked up yet. Right. Also voice. 
which, you know, we have the three, I guess, great voice assistants currently, um, but it's not totally locked up yet. So we also have a, a speech-to-text engine, uh, which is open source and is really focused on representing all voices so that if you happen to have an accent that isn't sort of North American white male, mm-hmm. you know, like products really work for you. Yeah. So, so those areas which aren't yet locked up into two or three great silos, we have a pretty significant effort there. We have a pretty significant effort with Firefox as how can it help you online. Like the, the, the reason that we love browsers is not just history, uh, but it's also in a system that has a browser, that, that is, can represent you. So you think about what, what it does, everything from help you make you know, small text bigger, but stop ads, stop tracking, um, or take the Facebook container, which limits the information Facebook can collect on you. Those are all things that the websites aren't building. Mm. Right? Those are things that you might want, even if the website or the app maker doesn't want them. Right. And, and the reason we love the web is because it's got this layer in it. We call it the browser, but that's the layer that represents me. Mm. And it, it represents me... I don't have to do it app by app by app, but it represents me across all the places that I travel. And so we continue to think about how can we actually help people do that uh, and which of those things. So, you know, you can set it up so it blocks cookies now because those are the tracking devices and yeah. that you need across the web. So we, so we continue to explore are there things like that that we can do in the current world with apps and and then we also do continue to think, is there any way to sort of crack the mobile duopoly and see if we can find some point of leverage that brings some openness or choice into it? And clearly we haven't. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, was the cause of one of Mozilla's near-death experiences. So, so we don't have it yet, but we're still looking. And we haven't given up yet. Um, but we are also going to focus on those other product efforts. And then we have a really active policy program which we, you know, turned up five or six years ago. And so that's a pretty big challenge because there's a lot of policy challenges out there. You know, net neutrality for sure is like the blocker bug. You know, blocker bug meaning if you don't fix it, you can't see what's behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so net neutrality in the U.S. is, is certainly going to be a problem or the lack of it. Um, we see as a challenge there's building, you know, products, but we also feel like community or the set of people who – know about openness or care about it or want more choice, how do they engage? Uh, and so we have a focus on that too. Where people are using these things largely on their phones and not a yes. lot of interoperability there, what's, what is the leverage point? Like how do we, because the, the thing, the, you know, it's like it totally makes sense why any one individual company would not want that. There's a lot of, you know, reasons for profit and convenience and some of the stuff you talked about earlier about why Google would want to make a browser. I mean, it's just yes. the same apply. But for people who write code, for people who read code, for consumers out there, there's a lot of reasons that we do want it. Yes. Um, and how do we, like, what's the place, how do we get back to that to some extent? Do you, do you see, do you see, because, you know, it's it's hard to imagine we use these, you know, we have these. Phone, I have this iPhone sitting here, and there's Android phone. It's hard to imagine those two companies suddenly, like, you know, just turning the key and changing their minds. Yes, I, I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> well, that is, in fact, partly why we have such a focus on mixed reality and augmented reality. Is, is partly because it's not yet locked up, and partly to demonstrate what it feels like to live in such a world. Mm. Because there's, uh, you know, a whole set of people whose primary or entry point is a phone, which means that the, the thing that we're describing is a set of words but not a natural experience, and it's hard to say what's different. So, for example, any phone can click on a link, and it will take you there, uh, you know, in, unless it's such a walled garden you can't get out. But, yeah. but usually what it, it lets you get out because that's where information, it just doesn't let you share information unless people are locked in. Um, so, so that that's one, and and two, you know, I wish I, I had the answer, uh, yeah. but that uh, over time, you know, now that that, that Firefox has uh, 
really advanced technology, you know, at the core of it again, it, it lets us do a, a new set of things and try some new experiments. So, uh, you know, you'll, you'll start to see experiments both in Firefox uh, and then experiments outside of it to look and see what that is. Um, so tell me, so tell me a little bit about the policy work because certainly this is like something that's been in the news a lot. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was, you know, in Washington a few weeks ago. Yeah. I think that was a revelation, not because of what he said, but I mean, in addition to what he said, but to a lot of people who probably don't follow that world, but who tuned in, it was certainly a revelation to see what the people who represent the people of the United States thought was important to ask. I mean, that was like a, a lot of people probably hadn't connected with maybe how, not all of them, but maybe how not up on things a lot of the questioners and senators and congressmen were. Um, and so that's, that has to be a challenging environment to be operating in. Yes. And, you know, technology is obviously new. You know, the, I think the web, I think next year is the 30th anniversary. So it's really new. And it's complicated. And so it, it makes sense that a lot of legislators, especially those who are not early in their career, you know, don't, don't know about it. I mean, yeah. it's easy to forget how, how complex it is. Um, and I think that many people had just had no idea as well of what's actually going on. And uh, in the big... Company, or even in the small companies. You know, there was a yeah. real flap some years ago where a developer in San Francisco said, oh, yeah, we just do what everybody does. You use your app to suck every piece of information you can off the user's phone, and then you see what you can do with it. Right. And that was a, quote, scandal, but right. absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, and that may or may not have, have changed to date. And so I think the realization of what that actually means for a human being is, is new. I will say, you know, I've been talking about it for a long time, but even I was surprised at the very targeted use to manipulate people for specific votes or to manipulate people into outrage and to get out in the street and fight each other. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, yeah. that that was also a, a revelation. And I think it's pretty clear that uh, with Facebook, you know, th th things have been going on that maybe Facebook knew and but are just disturbing in more ways and levels than anybody really yeah. could have. Even I did not imagine the depth of what we're learning about or the degree of hands-offness. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, let's spread your data around, but then after that, let's just have our hands off what's going on. So, so um, Yeah, and you, you, you were one to probably question a lot of things, so if even you were not realizing it really it's it's really deep right I mean, yeah i actually uh as this stuff came out i felt naive yeah uh, which is not normally i'm accused of being cynical yeah but 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 here i was really really uh naive about about the depth of 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 what's happening uh so so on the policy side there's a lot of challenges uh and i think one i'll just come back to net neutrality for a moment where it, it Every bit of information polls that we've seen are that the American public, in a deeply bipartisan way, wants net neutrality. Yeah. Like, uh, by, you know, like 80%. Uh, and that's pretty bipartisan on a complex issue, and yet our government is not moving in that direction. Yeah. So that is a policy challenge, um, which I guess, you know, in theory, you could, you could solve, but through who you elect, but... It's a little attenuated, and, and so th that's, that's one kind of issue. And then the second issue you mentioned is understanding, a degree of understanding. I think for many people, it's not really what you want to be doing, is understanding all the lousy things that can happen on the back end of these complex systems. And so, but I think, it's, I think it is legitimate for the um, public or individuals to say, I don't, it's not my job to understand all of this complexity. It is the job of the platforms and or the regulators to produce something decent for a society. And where that balance is, how much self-regulation, you know, will actually happen or how much regulation occurs, we don't know yet. And, you know, every, every society will be different and we're going to have some unintended consequences along the way. On the one hand, oh my gosh, we have to do something about this. And there's the people that have been elected to, in theory, sort of do things about these type of things. And then you see the questions that they ask, and then you know, maybe you give them a pass on some level because it's, it is really complicated. 
but you also realize that they're they're really not up to speed, and that it highlights the complexity of it. And you think, well, we really want to do something about this, but God, they could do a lot of really bad things about this. Right? I mean, there's a lot of ways that this, you know, people with really great intentions. Yes. Because the place that we got to here was was based on like letting lots and lots and lots of people all over the world do their thing and not tell them what they couldn't do. Right. That's, that's yes. how we. That's how this whole. That's how the whole thing got made. Yes, and with with internet technology, there's been a a sense that oh, this is so exciting, we can build whatever tech we want and be as successful as we possibly can, and whatever's good for me or me and my tech or me and my company is good for the world. This, I think, it's the have your cake and eat it too sort of piece, but. As I, I've been thinking about this, I've realized like we can't blame the technologists or, or not alone. I mean, we as society have made that loud and clear. We have rewarded that viewpoint with every resource we have. And so also I think as a – I mean the, the tech companies were heroes and, and beloved brands. I mean it's really great. It's really great when you can build like just run ahead and build technology – and everybody loves it, and you're a hero, and you're a billionaire. Right. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> That's the uh, eating of the cake, I guess. Huh? Yes. Yeah. And, and so, so it, it is easy sometimes to look at them and, bl- and blame them. Uh, but really, I think we also need to look at ourselves and society because we are giving those rewards. Yeah. Uh, and it's beginning to change now. Uh, and so that, I think, is also extremely important. And I think, I mean... It's probably the first time the legislators have ever thought about this and may or may not even know who among their staff is the right set of people to talk to. And your first time, you know, your first foray into tech questioning is, you know, usually um, bumpy. Yeah. So I'm not so inclined to look at that first foray and, and give up as to look at what do our legislators do going forward? Are they building staff that understands technology? Are they learning about technology? What kind of interactions are actually going on? And whether or not they themselves are adept at questioning, because that, I think, takes a long time. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, that's not a normal conversation. It's like, mm-hmm. it's on some level, it's an entirely different skill set. And the skill set you want them to have is actually the knowledge and being good at making decisions and legislation and talking to people. And, and having of, a staff and understanding yeah. who to trust and knowing that it's important. And that last piece is where, you know, citizen pressure is really key. So I would be looking to say, you know, what's happening in the staff and are they getting better or who else is actually asking questions, which is, again, hard for the average citizen yeah. to find time to do. But I think that's the real question. How do you think that's – so how does that get rewarded though, right? Because it's, it's, it is hard for citizens to understand it. So it's going to be hard for citizens to vote on it. Like people, you're not going to have a campaign message out there that's like, I've really, you know, gotten the greatest technology staff and therefore you should elect me because I'm smarter about – I mean that seems – Right. Well, it's going to show up both in, in the next set of hearings, whenever they are, whatever company it is. And it's going to show up in how you vote and what you do. Do you think that the – not the people but the format of the government – in the United States, the system of it is is equipped for the challenges of like the next fifty years. Like the the you know you studied this kind of thing. You were interested in this at an early age. Yep. A lot of what you brought into Mozilla was thinking about this. A lot of Mozilla's success has been about how you organize people. When you look about the way we are represented in this new era, where people can contribute a lot, like. Is the system we have modern enough for the challenges we have? Our system is not in the digital age yet. Yeah. So these are slow-moving systems, sometimes with good reason. Like sometimes you look at it like now and you say, wow, like digital disruption is really happening and our government isn't organized along those lines and you know, we need a generation of people, if not legislators, at least the senior staff who or- understand this. There's some reasons it's good that government moves slow. Um, but we are do seem to be moving towards the time of crisis. So I think that the transformation of government or the digital transformation is really a key. But, of course, you know, we're in such uh, gridlock and, and such inability to talk to each other. That's an even deeper problem. Yeah. 
you know, when we look at the internet, like today, there is a feeling of, wow, there's a lot of unpleasant and bad stuff happening. It's not just Facebook. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's actually how we behave towards each other and who's accountable. And, and so, you know, on the, on the one hand, I mean, that's, that's pretty disturbing. I, I do have some sense of optimism uh, because we're so early in it. So like the, the first naive wave, you know, that you talked about in the beginning where we just saw all this amazing possibility for people to uh, be able to do new things is true, and, and we're living them many times a day. And now we're in this wave where we see amazing possibilities for bad actors and terrible behavior at scale. Uh, and, and we're only now just starting to address that. So it feels really bad right now, but but we haven't, you know, we haven't even Hasn't had time really to make before. progress yet. Yeah. So, so you uh, think it's still early? It's it, yeah. even though we've been talking about it being early for like twenty years, it's still it really is still early. Yeah, especially yeah. in this in this wave. So I, I added, you know, Mozilla has a manifesto, our ten principles from that have guided us for a decade or so, and just this year, in fact, in March, we added another set of four all about these issues. What's the human experience? You know about civility and decency and um, critical thought, verifiable facts, like the internet should be promoting these things. We don't exactly know how to do that yet, but the first step is to articulate them and set it out and commit to it in a nonpartisan you know, way about the internet. And you find lots of organizations are now starting to think, well, what can we do? What's the research? And so if we can find some critical mass and work together in an open source way, I think we do have a lot of room to make progress in bringing, you know, the tools and systems so that we can get, like, maximum benefit and the least amount of, yeah. you know, some of the, these other traits uh, woven into the system. Mitchell Baker, it was a real privilege and honor for me and for everyone here at the Webby Awards and all of our judges who worked on it this year to get the chance to recognize everything that you and Mozilla have done last night. Um, I want to thank you so much. Thank you for so much for all your work. Um, I know it is appreciated throughout the world. Thank you. I'm um, gratified and honored. Thank you so much to Mitchell for stopping by the podcast studio. Keep up with her at Mitchell Baker on Twitter. That's at M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-B-A-K-E-R on Twitter. And if you missed her five-word speech at the 22nd Annual Webby Awards, I suggest watching her incredible moment and more at wbby.co slash watch. Our producer is Sebastian Aday. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is a shiny new corner office. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a special season finale. 